church. Let's stand and sing together. Our hope in life and death, Christ alone, Christ alone. What is our only confidence? That our souls to Him belong, who holds our days within His hand. What comes apart from His command, and what will keep? us to the end, the love of Christ in which we stand. Oh, sing hallelujah, our hope springs eternal. Oh, sing hallelujah, now and ever we confess Christ our hope.
Today we're going to be studying Luke chapter 5. I'm going to read just the first few eight verses of it. And uh, it's just great to sing about Christ, our hope in life and death. And Luke records about one occasion in verse 1 of chapter 5. On one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, and he saw two boats by the lake, but the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. Getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, he asked him to put out a little from the land. And he sat down and he taught the people from the boat. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing. But at your word, I will let down the nets. And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish, and their nets were breaking. And they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats, so they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. Father, I pray this morning as we encounter you and your holiness that we will have a similar response, that we will fall to our knees at your feet, confessing our sin and throwing ourselves upon your mercies and your grace for cleansing. Lord, we exalt you as our Savior this morning, and together we continue to sing to your glory. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Joy. 
Sacrifice, God, we love you. We worship you this morning. God, let you be our focus. 
Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Morning. How's everybody doing this morning? Yeah, Jamie's got me rocking on that out music. Come on now. That's what I'm talking about. He's just trying to tempt me to dance. It's not going to happen. I know what y'all are doing back there. Well, good to see everybody here this morning. We continue our study through the Gospel of Luke, and I don't know about you, but I really have enjoyed the Gospel of Luke so far, and uh, it's, been, it's really been very eye-opening how Luke writes and how he reveals all these different things about Jesus and as he's recording these events, he's laying out before us evidence that Jesus is who he says he is. And we saw that he said he was the Messiah. And we saw last week his authority was on display. Uh, Craig, how are you doing, sir? Everybody give Craig a little love. He's a military. He's serving for us. He's been gone for five months. He's welcome back. Yeah, welcome. Glad to have you back. He's like, wait, everybody's looking. Am I supposed to have this on or off? You're good. You're good. It's uh, good, to, good to have you back. But as I said, we were looking at how, God's, how Jesus was displaying his authority, or more particularly how Luke has been validating the truthfulness of Jesus' claim to have the authority of God. And he's been validating it by saying, I've researched all this, and I'm laying out for you these events that Jesus did, real historical events. And what we've been seeing is people's incredible reaction. People are believing Jesus, the people who actually were there and had the same dust on their sandals as him, who saw him, who had the opportunity to say, this guy's crazy, I'm not gonna follow him. But instead, they were being convinced because his life displayed the authority of God. And today, in chapter five, verses one through 32, we're going to see how he calls his disciples to follow him. It's interesting how this text is laid out. Uh, the section or the unit that I'm looking at has its book ended by two calling of disciples. He calls uh, today. He's going to show at the beginning this what I read to you, where he calls Simon, who is also known as Peter, and along with him we see from the other gospels at this time uh, James and John. So Peter, James, and John are called. That recording is first, and then at the end of this section is the calling of Levi, who's also known in other places as Matthew. And so you have these two bookend callings, these miracles or these callings of Jesus, calling someone to follow him, and we're going to look at their response. And then sandwiched between these two callings are two miracles that have something in particular to say, that show what Jesus in particular. So what we see is this is all about Jesus' disciples being called to follow him, and we're going to look at five lessons, five aspects of what it means to follow Jesus, what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. And my prayer is that through this study this morning, you will either decide for the first time that Jesus is who he said he is and I'm going to follow him, or for the 101st time that you will be reignited as a disciple of Jesus to say, yes, I'm going to follow him. Father, I ask that you would do this in our hearts this morning, that as you reveal yourself to us in the scriptures, that we will be captivated by who you are as God in flesh, that we will lay down our 
authority over our own lives and submit to your authority, lay everything down and follow you as your disciples. Lord, renew that spirit, reignite within us a commitment to discipleship. And it's in Christ's glorious name we pray, amen. All right, so what does it mean to be a disciple of Jesus? Let's begin in verse 1. As I read 5, uh, I'll read 1 through 3. 5, 1 through 3. On one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, so he was preaching, and people were like, dude, this dude can preach. And they're coming, they want to hear the word of God. He was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, and he saw two boats by the lake. Probably it was an amphitheater-type setting where people were all across this amphitheater-type setting, and they're sitting down, and he's, he's preaching. And, then it, it, and he saw the two boats by the lake, but the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. So they're done, they're washing their nets, and Jesus gets into the one of the boats, verse 3, which was Simon Peter's boat, and he asked him, put out a little bit from the land, and he sat down and he taught the people. That was the posture of sitting. And then look at verse 4, and when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. Okay, so I assume Jesus was doing what he always did. Opened Isaiah, opened the Old Testament, and said, I fulfill the scriptures i am the promised messiah that's the message we keep hearing the kingdom of god is here so whenever you hear about jesus preaching that was the central point of his message is that jesus is the messiah and so he's preaching this and people are starting to hear him starting to see remember we saw he cast out demons remember he healed peter's mother-in-law and so he's validating his message with his power. He's demonstrating that he is unique, and you have to take his claims seriously. And so the crowds are buying it, at least are intrigued, and they're coming to hear what does this man say as he opens the Word of God to preach, and they're clamoring. A crowd was pressing in on him to hear, so he's preaching this message, and then to get a better, uh, to get some room to preach, he gets into a boat, uh, and, he, and they they kind of ease off ashore a little bit and he's got the massive crowds a lot like us sitting right here they're probably sitting up on an amphitheater type hill and he's preaching the word of god to them but they you know peter had just seen him heal his mother-in-law and he's hearing this message as he's washing his nets and you know he's listening and he's claiming to be the messiah he's claiming to be the son of god the one that god promised to send and to be the savior, to, to liberate the captives, to liberate the spiritually and physically oppressed. And so Peter's listening, and then when he finished speak, speaking, Jesus said to Peter, put out in the deep and let down your nets for a catch. <clears throat> so at this moment, Peter is caught in a crisis of faith. Why is he caught in a crisis of faith? Because he's like, okay, either this dude's Lord lunatic, or a liar. I mean, why would I go and cast out in my nets into the deep? I have been fishing all night. So you're either clueless, you don't know what you're talking about. I, he's at a crisis of faith because what he's saying to do does not match with his logic. What Jesus is asking or commanding Peter to do, it does not 
jive with his logic, with his expectations, with his experience, with his worldview, with what he's thinking, is I am not going to throw out here, I know more than you because you don't seem to get it. I've been fishing all night. They're not biting. And I just got these nets clean. Do you know how much work it's going to cause me to get the nets clean? I mean, to get the nets back in the water catch nothing, and then clean them all over again. This is, you're asking a lot of me, and it's just not making sense. So he's at a crisis of faith. Does he do what Jesus say or not? Does he do what he thinks is best, or does he do what Jesus thinks is best? How does Peter respond? Look at verse 5. And Peter answered in verse 5, Master, we toiled all night, and we took nothing. So how would he, I would say at first, he's honest. He's like, I just want to make sure you know something here. Here's where I'm struggling with your command. You're telling me to fish, and I'm telling you that I've already fished. In fact, we fished all night long, and we caught nothing. And probably what's going on, scholars say, that probably now is the worst time to fish. The, The fish is daylight. They can see the nets. This is not the time to fish. We've been fishing during prime time biting time and and we caught nothing and now you're telling me to do something it makes no sense master if i've been fishing all night and we've caught nothing at least he's respectful as he's being honest he calls him master which is a term of respect but he doesn't hide his doubts he doesn't explain i mean he doesn't uh, he is willing to explain his concerns and and he's just honest and he tells them this is what's been going on but then he does something very powerful. But at your word, I will let down the nets. At your word, I will let down the nets. Though everything in this scene doesn't make sense to me, I have enough trust in your word that I'm going to obey. Now, I know you have no problems relating to this kind of scenario, do you? How many times in your life has the Lord asked you to do something that makes absolutely no sense? Wait, you want me to forgive them? Let me be honest first, Lord. Do you remember? Do you realize what they said to me? Do you realize what they did to me? This is not a misunderstanding. This is not debatable. It is fact. They were cruel to me. And now I'm reading your word, and it says to love your enemies? Lord, I, I, I'm going to tell you the truth. This is hard. This is hard to obey. Or, Lord, at the end of each paycheck, we got a whole lot of month left, right? At the end of each paycheck, we got a lot of bills left, and you're calling me to give to support the work of the church? You're calling me to give to support this friend who lost her job? Lord, I've been fishing all month and we don't have enough and you're asking me to give. So many times the Lord calls you as a disciple and tells you to do something that just doesn't align with your experience, your assumptions, your knowledge, your worldview. And you are at a very similar crisis of faith and we need to know what what we're learning here is as disciples, this is the first lesson of discipleship in this text today as disciples of jesus we are going to have to trust jesus enough to obey him 
even when it doesn't fully make sense. As a disciple of Jesus, you're going to have to trust him enough to obey him even when it doesn't fully make sense. That is the very essence of what it means to live by faith, is to know that when God calls you to do something, oftentimes, probably most of the time, it's not going to make total sense to us. It's not going to make total sense to you. Witness to this person. Lord, they aren't going to listen. Lord, if, do you realize that's my boss? And if I do, there's a good chance I'll lose my job. Lord, are you sure? Because I'm scared it's going to fracture our relationship. The Lord is clear, and you're often going to be con confronted with this crisis of faith. He's going to call you to do something that doesn't make perfect sense. But as a disciple... Being a disciple means that you have to trust him enough. It doesn't mean you have to just be like, oh yeah, no doubt, I'm good. It's okay to have doubts. It's okay to be honest with him about them and to, to talk to him and share with him, read the Psalms, it's filled with that. But to be a disciple, which means to be a follower, as we're going to see, to be a follower of Christ, you're going to have to trust him enough to obey him even when it doesn't fully make sense. So let's look at what happened next. He threw the nets into the water, and verse 6 tells us, in verse 6 and following, it says, And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish, and their nets were breaking. And they signaled to their partners that likely it was a net that was so big it was strung between two boats. So you'd have a boat here, a boat there, and a huge net strung between them. And that's who their partners are. They signaled to their partners Guys, come over here. And they came and they filled both the boats so that they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw it, look at this reaction. When Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished. And that word astonished is the same description of how they reacted when the demons were cast out when they were astonished how they reacted when when simon peter's mother-in-law was healed they were astonished how they reacted when they heard jesus's teaching and he had taught with such authority claiming to be the the, the fulfillment of isaiah's prophecy they were amazed they were astonished at the word at the actions of jesus they were astonished at the catch of the fish that they had taken and so also were James, John, the sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And so what we, what we see here is they were fishing with this huge net. They took their step of faith, and God did an incredible miracle. Jesus did something incredible through their simple, doubtful, meager steps of obedience. It wasn't because they said, I believe God's going to send fish. And because I have such strong faith, he fills the nets. That's not how it works. It's about Jesus. It's not about you and me and our strength of our faith or our abilities. It's about him and simply emptying ourselves of, of our contrary views and depending on him. And when he says to do something, having just enough faith to actually do what he says to do. And they cast the nets out, filled with doubts, I'm sure grumbling, I'm going to have to wash these again. And then they catch this miracle catch. And they say, wait a minute. 
And they learned so much from their obedience. Peter learned to trust Jesus. When he speaks, do what he says. Peter learned that Jesus is a prophet and Jesus is a miracle worker. It was obvious. That's what this was. It was a miracle. This wasn't a, a coincidence. Peter learned that obedience to Jesus' word results in fruitfulness. All of these lessons he's learning because he trusted him just enough to obey him even when it made no sense. He's learning all these things about it. He learned that Jesus is the Messiah. He learned that Jesus, who Jesus is as he took those humble steps of obedience. And in the process, he learned, learned about his own sinfulness. He learned his sin in light of this holy God. So this brings us to another great teaching point about what it means to be a disciple. When we trust Jesus enough to obey Jesus, despite our doubts, Jesus grows our faith in him. It's, a, it's an interaction. It's a relationship. It's not just this sit aside in a, in a library and read a book about Jesus and he grows your faith. It is a daily relational study the word of God, listen to what he says, apply what you understand, even though you don't fully understand it, even though you have doubts, take steps of doing what he says to do. And as you do, you see Jesus. You learn Jesus. You grow in your faith in him. It grows your faith. When we trust Jesus enough to obey Jesus, despite our doubts, Jesus grows our faith in him. That's how our faith grows. So it's about being in a relationship. We, we have to learn to trust him enough to obey him when we don't fully understand that's radically different than what i think a lot of us tend to think that that being a disciple is all about growing your faith so that then you can go and do something for god once you are convinced that it's what god wants you to do and i would say most of the time it doesn't work that way at least not what i see in this scenario and it's not what i see in my life most of the time my faith grows because i'm doing something that i fully don't understand or have confidence in but i did get to the point where I think God has told me this is what I'm supposed to do. Most of the time, it's in clear black and white scriptures that tells you this is what you do, and you do it when you don't understand how it can make sense. Sometimes it's more subjective, and you're not sure. I think God's leading me to do this. It fits within the boundaries of the guidelines that scriptures lays out there for us. But in either case, when you are convinced the Lord has told you something and you don't fully understand it, start taking steps of obedience even though you don't fully understand and watch him grow your faith. It's just like a human relationship. When we obey Jesus, he grows our faith. Now here's what I want to do. I want to skip down to verse 12. We'll come back to verse 10 in just a second. In verse 12, he says... Jesus is, this is the two miracles that we, we see sandwiched between the two callings. While he was in one of the cities, there came a man full of leprosy. And when he saw Jesus, he fell on his face and he begged him, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. Okay, stop there. What's he asking? Is he asking for a bath? Lord, if you will, 
You can make me clean. Did you bring a bar of soap? No, that's not what he's asking. What happens? He ends up healing. And why does he call it clean? Why does he say, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean? He's saying, Lord, if you will, you can heal me. And if you heal me, then I can return to worship. I can be declared clean for worship. This comes from Leviticus chapter 13 and 14. I know you all have memorized Leviticus, right? Your favorite book of the Bible. And we see that God gives his people laws in Leviticus. And in chapter 13 and 14, they're called the, the purity laws. And it's referring to all sorts of things like what they can eat, um, purity, how to, purification rites after childbirth, um, lots of things of how to be pure physically. Skin diseases are addressed in there. If you have a skin disease, here's how you do it. If you have a fever and a temperature and you show some symptoms, here's what you should do. There's some very physical descriptions of what to do among a people if you've got something going on. But there is a spiritual dynamic that really is the point of it all. It has some physical benefits, but really, God has given this to Israel as a constant reminder of some spiritual realities. If a person had a skin, something going on, they would come to the priest and say, look at this thing. And they say, oh, yeah, that you need to, yeah, you don't need to be with everybody. That's a skin disease. That's going to spread. That's contagious. You need, you're declared unclean. You need to stay out of the people until you come back to me. And I say, okay, now you're clean. I just want to say right now, I, am, I was an accounting major for a reason. I am glad I'm not looking at your diseases and declaring you clean or unclean. But the job of the priest was to say clean or unclean, fit to be in the covenant community of worship or not. And if they were declared unclean, they were asked to stay away from the community for physical reasons, but also this was a constant reminder that one must go to the priests and to be, to be declared clean in order to be a part of the covenant community of worship. And you probably already have bells going off in your head going, oh, I, I see the spiritual point. The point being that God is pure. God is holy. His people must be clean, must be declared clean and pure and holy by God's priest, God's intercessor, in order to participate with the covenant community of worship. And so when this gentleman comes up to Jesus and says, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. It's loaded with theological statements. Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. And everyone's going, whoa, wait a minute. Only the law can make you clean and acceptable to be in the covenant community. And this guy's challenging that, saying, Lord, if you so desire, you can make me clean for worship. And so Jesus is put to the test in front of everyone. Is Jesus the Messiah, the one who can cleanse sinners and make them fit for the covenant people of worship. So what does he do in verse 13? Jesus stretched out his hand and he touched him saying, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy, the skin disease left him. 
So Luke is making it very clear. He's laying this event out there for us between the two callings of disciples to say, at the heart of discipleship, Jesus makes clean. Look, it's not the physical cleaning that matters. And how do you know that? Look at verse 14. And he charged him to tell no one, but go directly and show yourself to the priest and make an offering for your cleansing as Moses commanded you in Leviticus 13 for a proof to them. So Jesus, in front of, for us, Luke records that Jesus is making the point that Jesus cleanses someone for worship. What kind of cleansing? Jesus cleansed the man of his sin. He made him spiritually clean. Well, how do you know that? Where do you get that? You're going to have to prove that to me. Okay, look at verse 17. Luke wants you to see another event, which is exactly about that point of cleansing of sin. Verse 17, down to verse 20. This is the second healing. On one of those days, as he was teaching, Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there who had come from every village of Galilee and Judea and from Jerusalem, they're starting to believe but they're really wrestling with this and the power of the lord was with jesus to heal and behold some men were bringing on a bed a man who was paralyzed and they were seeking to bring him lay him before jesus but finding no way because of the crowd to bring him in they went up on the roof and let him down with his bed through the tiles into the midst before jesus and so they led him down in the midst before jesus and what in the world does jesus do and when he saw their faith he said, man, your sins are forgiven you. Who said anything about sins? This guy was just paralyzed and he wanted to be healed. And he says, man, your sins are forgiven you because of your faith. They brought the man in faith of Jesus could heal him. He healed and he says, because of your faith, your sins are forgiven Jesus is making the point that he has the authority to forgive sins, i.e., he has the authority to, to cleanse sinners for worship. And in case you doubt it, verse 21, the scribes and the Pharisees began to question, saying, Who is this who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? That's right, only God can forgive sins and in verse 22, when Jesus perceived the thoughts, he answered them and he said to them, why do you question in your hearts? Why do you question in your hearts? Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven you, or to say, rise up and walk? They both are impossible. They both take miracles. They both are the work of God. But you say, or he says, but that you, so that you may know. There's an interpretive sentence, very important. So that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. I'm going to heal him physically so that you may know that I can heal him spiritually. I'm going to heal him physically so that you may know I really have the power to forgive sins and to cleanse someone to be a part of the covenant community of worship. So it's up in the air. It's set up there. Jesus saying, so you clear with this? If I heal him, I've proven to you that I can do what you can't see. I forgive him based on his faith in me. And they're like, all right, bring it on. 
And he said, the man was paralyzed. I say to you, rise, pick up your bed and go home. And immediately he rose up before them, picked up his, his, what he had been laying on, and he went home glorifying God. That's the response, the proper response. In verse 26, and amazement seized them all, and they glorified God and were filled with awe, saying, we have seen extraordinary things today. So do you see what Luke is doing, packaging this all together? Call to discipleship. Jesus has all the authority and power to cleanse one of their sin, making them fit for worship. Luke records these two miracles and make the point that Jesus has the authority to cleanse sinners, making them fit for worship. This is another lesson in discipleship. Here's the point. Only Jesus can cleanse you of your sin and make you fit to be a disciple. Only Jesus can cleanse you of your sin and make you fit to be his disciple. Not your good works, not your obedience, nothing else and no one else can cleanse you and make you fit to be his disciple, only Jesus. And this is true not only for the first time when you become a disciple where you say, Lord, forgive me, like, he fell, like Simon fell to his, Jesus' knees and said, I am sinful cleanse me and he does you see jesus came for this very purpose to die on the cross to be the sacrifice that you needed for your sin and that i needed for my sin and he died and he was buried and it was like he did with these miracles now if i rise from the grave then you can believe that i cleanse sinners put your faith in jesus and he rose from the grave Demonstrating he has the power to forgive sinners. And then what does he do after he cleanses sinners? Does he say, okay, good, hang out, enjoy life until I come back and get you or you die and join me? He commissions them. This is why I skip. Go back to verse 10, the second part of verse 10. After he cleansed Peter and, and Peter, James, and John, he said, do not be afraid. From now on, you will be catching men. And when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. Wow. Jesus, when he cleansed someone, he commissions them. From now on, you will be catching men. The whole miracle of catching a lot of fish becomes suddenly an image of discipleship that when Peter, James, and John going forward are trying to make disciples, if they are relying on themselves and their own strength, nada, no results, no success. But in Christ, with their doubts, trusting and obeying, God will make them very fruitful. Notice the priority. They left everything and followed him. This is a concept at the very core of what it means to be a disciple. When, when a rabbi would call a disciple to follow him or a disciple would say to a rabbi, can I follow you? It meant total devotion to two things. One, to understand their explanation of the scriptures but that's not all it was. It's not just a study in a classroom. It's to understand the right interpretation of Scripture so they may faithfully obey the Scriptures. And that was 
taught through life example. Follow me, watch me. This is what it looks like to forgive. This is what it looks like to love. This is what it looks like to, to, to care about what God cares about, to, to be radically generous, to have hospitality, to reach out to others so that they may come to know the Lord. This is what it looks like to faithfully obey the Torah, the scriptures. You've got to drop everything. You've got to make it a priority to follow me. And that's what Jesus said, follow me. And they left everything. And if you follow me, what will happen? You will catch men and women. You will become a disciple maker. Why? Well, because Jesus is making disciples. And so if you're following Jesus, then you will become a disciple maker. So the commitment to be a disciple was a total commitment, total devotion, not just sitting in a classroom, but radical commitment to saying, I'm going to follow this teacher wherever he goes. I'm going to learn the Bible the way that he is teaching it, and I'm going to obey the Bible, God's Word, the way that he shows me to obey. This is why in Luke 6, a few chapters from now, or actually a couple of chapters, in Luke 6:40, Jesus is going to say, a disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone, when he is fully trained, will be like his teacher. Being a disciple is becoming like Jesus, following Jesus, looking like Jesus, doing what Jesus did, loving the way Jesus loves, sharing the glory of God the way he did. This is what happened with Peter. He left everything and followed him. And from this, we take this point. All Jesus' disciples are to become disciple makers. All of Jesus' disciples are to become disciple makers. It is not your calling just to be cleansed. You are cleansed and then called and commissioned to make disciples. Because you are following Jesus who is the great disciple maker. All of Jesus' disciples are to become disciple makers. If you claim to be a follower of Christ, then you are to be making disciples. That's not just the paid guys in the church that's supposed to do that. That's all of us. We see this in Luke chapter 5 with verse 27. And notice what happens with Levi or Matthew after this. He went out and saw a tax collector, despised tax collector, a Jew who turned against his own people and worked for the government and collected, collected taxes for the government, collected extra, which made him the money that he needed to make. And so the people despised this tax collector named Levi or Matthew <clears throat> sitting at a tax booth, and he said to him, Jesus said to him, follow me. And leaving everything, he rose and followed him. So Luke cuts out a lot, I'm sure, to make his point. Jesus said, follow me. He left everything, and he followed him. That's what disciples do. From other gospels, we know that this is Matthew. Levi responds, promptly following him. He left everything. Here's an important point for us to know about discipleship. Disciples must put Jesus above everything else. Disciples must put Jesus and following Jesus above everything else. You say, wait a minute. Are we supposed to all just quit our jobs and become full-time vocational ministers? No. 
I didn't say everyone should quit their job. I said that Jesus says everything comes into submission to following him and that calling to make disciples. What does that mean? It means that being a disciple who makes disciples becomes the overarching goal of everything you're doing. It, It becomes the water that you swim in. It becomes the air that you breathe. It comes the banner over your life. I'm a disciple maker. How do you do that? Well, I'm a teacher at this school. I'm a disciple maker. How do you do that? Well, most of my time is spent raising these children. These are my disciples that I want to raise to follow Jesus. I'm following Jesus, and like Paul, I'm saying to them, follow me, and I will show you what it looks like to follow Christ. Or if you're a tax collector, you're an accountant, you do it to the glory of God, and you do it in a way that says, I'm trying to help others see Jesus in the way that I do my job and perhaps it involves throwing a party look at verse 29 Levi made himself a great feast in his house and there was a large company of tax collectors and others reclining at the table with him so Matthew throws a party with his co-workers and his friends it's not a party of sin it's a party of let me introduce you to Jesus let me introduce you to this, to my Savior. <clears throat> you see, too many times, hear me now, if you're a new believer, don't think that you're on a waiting period before you can make disciples. Now's the best time. You've got this household of people around you, your oikos, the Greek word, the people who are your web and your coworkers and your friends and your family, and they've got a front row seat to watch the transformation in your life, and you need to invite them and come and tell them about Jesus. You know, I don't know what to say. Well, then invite someone who's been walking with Jesus for 20 years to, to be there and help you. I've always said it's better to outnumber the unbelievers if you're a new believer in faith. So get a lot of believers in that party and bring a few unbelievers and let them see Jesus. Introduce them to Jesus. Be a disciple maker. Every disciple is a disciple maker. And every disciple needs to make Jesus the priority, the platform, the the context for everything they're doing. I am a disciple maker. I'm a fully devoted follower of Christ. My first calling is to follow Jesus. My second calling is the location in which I do that at school, at home, at this place, in this neighborhood. Your identity is disciple maker if you're a follower of Christ. That's who you are. That's what you do in Christ. The Pharisees and the scribes in verse 30 grumbled at his disciples saying, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus answered them, those who are well have no need for a physician, but those who are sick, I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. So this party was all about introducing people to Jesus and calling them to repentance. When Levi repented, he was cleansed, and he became a disciple maker. When Simon, Peter, when James and John turned to Christ and were cleansed, what happened? they became disciple makers the same is true for us if you have come to Christ to be cleansed then you have also been commissioned to be a disciple maker 
And my prayer is the Lord uses this to call you to himself this morning, that if you, perhaps for the first time, we've had several people lately share with us, and I praise God for this, that you would have thought they'd been following Christ for 20 years, for 30 years. And then something happened in their heart where they realized this is the first time I'm really becoming a follower of Christ. Maybe that's you today. Maybe you've just been kind of doing church. Maybe you've just kind of been playing church and you didn't realize it's like Simon Peter, I am a sinner. I recognize it. I need cleansing in Christ. And you throw yourself on the mercies of God and ask him to forgive you of your sins based solely and only solely on the blood of Jesus Christ. And he will. In that moment, you are a follower of Christ and then he commissions you to go and make disciples. And so for all of us who claim to be disciples, we've been challenged this morning to say, am I making Christ and discipling others the priority of my life? That's why he has cleansed you and placed you where you are, is to represent Christ. So what step of faith is Jesus calling you to make now that you say, I don't fully understand it and I got a lot of doubts about it. But what step of faith in this calling to make disciples is he calling you to take? You can trust him. Father, I pray that you will, you will give just enough faith that we would take that step of obedience. You've cleansed us, Lord. I pray that today some will trust in you for the first time for salvation, for cleansing. And that I pray that all of us will daily depend on you for our cleansing. But this week, Lord, as, as we try to live this life of discipleship, give us faith, give us courage to take steps, to obey what you're calling us to do, even if it doesn't fully make sense to us, so that you will use us to make disciples. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. We introduced this new song earlier in the service, and uh, we want to sing it again to reinforce it and to rejoice in this simple truth that Christ alone is our hope in our living and in our dying. He alone is our hope. So let's stand and sing this again together. What is our hope in life and death? Christ alone, Christ alone, what is our only confidence that our souls to Him belong, who holds our days within His hand, what comes apart from His command, and what will The love of Christ in wind.
morning we've been challenged to be disciple making disciples to trust Jesus to cleanse us but to also trust Jesus who commissions us to make disciples so this week let's take our role of disciple making seriously um, let's trust Jesus beyond our doubts um, to help us make disciples you may be seated um, if you're a first-time guest today, we want to welcome you to Norris Ferry. We're very glad that you joined us for worship. If you would, text NFCC guest to 97000. Let us know you were here. That'll get you a Connect card um, and get you on the right track to getting plugged in. 
Also, whether you're a first-time guest or you've been with us for some time, I encourage you to text NFCC info to 97000 and subscribe to our weekly newsletter. Each week, a newsletter goes out full of great information and resources. It tells you about upcoming events, some of which we're going to tell you about this morning. Um, Kids Shine happens on Sunday afternoons. I know today is fall break, but we are still rolling. It is week five of six weeks session. So there's two weeks left. It's not too late to join us for that. Um, that's pre-K four through fifth grade. And we have some milestone map events coming up. Defend the Faith is an event for ninth graders and their parents to come on October 20th. Um, it's an event where they can come learn about that important transitional year um, and how those students can begin to own their own faith. And then on October 25th, we have our Family Fest. You're all invited. There are flyers at the info desk. I encourage you to take some, pass them out to neighbors, to friends, and uh, let's get our community here on the 25th. All right? If you would, stand and let me leave you with this benediction. Now may the God who did not even hold back his very own son, but handed him over for us all, provide you with every good thing you need in order to do his will and do in you what pleases him. Amen. You are dismissed.